as we begin our study on the book of Galatians. Now, you may have heard of Galatians. You may have heard of Galatians. Uh, we're going to stick with Galatians for me. I think Galatians sounds weird. I think that sounds almost like an illness of the body. Uh, so we're going to call it Galatians. Uh, and so if you have your Bibles with me, we're going to be in chapter 1 uh, tonight. And so what we're going to do, this is going to kind of be the format of how we're going to do this. We're going to break this thing down uh, piece by piece. Um, for my Bible scholars in the room, you may uh, be familiar with the term exegesis. You may hear that also called an exegesis. Uh, but we're going to do a breakdown on this book of Galatians, this letter that Paul is writing to the churches in Galatia. And so as we dive into this, as we go into this, I hope that this is something that you really take a hold of, not only what we look at, but that you also uh, grow an appetite for study like this in Scripture. I believe that studying the Scripture is very important. I believe that it helps solidify your faith, your foundation that you stand on, because I don't want you to have... And, and I'm going to put it like this. I don't want you to have a blind faith. And what I mean is to believe in something just for the sake of believing it. I want you to have concrete, solid foundation of your beliefs. And to do that means to know what this book says. Amen? Amen. So this is what we're going to do. Uh, Galatians is considered uh, by some Bible scholars. In fact, I think of Dr. T.L. Lowry. He's uh, passed away now several years ago, but one of the great biblical minds, and uh, I love reading some of his material on Scripture, but he called Galatians, the book of Galatians, uh, the, declarate, the Christian Declaration of Independence. Uh, this book, this letter that Paul writes, serves almost as a Magna Carta, it serves as a form of independence from legalism in the church. And so uh, this actually, this book that we're going to get into in just a few short moments, if you know who Martin Luther is, not Martin Luther King Jr., but Martin Luther, the, the Protestant Reformationist. Now, this man, uh, he was the one who nailed the 95 theses on the doors of the Catholic Church. And when he did this, he, he was trying to let the Catholic Church know that they had it all wrong. According to the Bible that he was reading, which it, it, was, it was the word, the Bible. He said, you guys have got it all wrong. You were trying to live out your faith by works and by your human achievement. He said, but from what I'm reading, from the words of Paul and, and from what the scriptures tell me, it is faith comes through grace, through the free gift that God has given us. <clears throat> And so Galatians serves as a way, and so the title of the series, as we cover this book over the next several weeks, we're going to call it Justified by Faith, because as we go into this, we're, Paul is going to talk heavily about faith and about grace, and that nothing that you do with your hands, with your works, with no matter your accomplishments or achievements, that is not enough to save you, but it comes only by your faith and the free gift of grace that God gives. So 
In your Bibles, Galatians chapter 1, I want to start at the very beginning with verse 1. Now again, like I said, this is going to be a breakdown piece by piece of this chapter, meaning verse by verse. You may say, what's the point in that? Just pick out the good parts. Well, we're not at a salad bar tonight. We're, we're reading the Word. So we're going to go piece by piece and pick up everything that God has for us tonight. Amen? Amen. And this is what he says in uh, chapter 1, verse 1, he says this. He says, this letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. All right, so immediately Paul introduces himself. And when he introduces himself, he does it in a manner to let you know by whose authority he's doing it from. Paul is trying to make this as little about himself as he can and as much about God as he can. Now, now this is something that is contradictory from the way that Paul was raised. If you don't know Paul's history, if you don't know his life, Paul was actually raised as a Pharisee. Okay, in fact, he was one of the higher-ranking Pharisees at that time. Uh, in fact, that's why he had the authority to go around arresting Christians and having them killed because uh, of what they were out there preaching. And so Paul was raised on rigorous rules, and Paul knew the Word. He knew what the law said better than most. And so now Paul's whole life has been from the authority that man has given him. As a Pharisee, he was given authority by other men. It would have been by the other Pharisees, by the leaders of that sect. They would have given him his authority. Now, all of a sudden, Paul, as we know his story, on the way to Damascus, he is uh, hit with a blinding light. He is spoken to. He goes. He finds uh, salvation through Christ, and then he becomes the Apostle Paul. And now, suddenly, Paul has been given authority, not by another man as he's used to, but now he's been given authority by God himself. And so when Paul opens this letter, he wants to be very clear. I'm not a Pharisee speaking to you. I'm not another religious leader speaking to you. I'm not a Sadducee speaking to you. I am an apostle whose authority has been given by God himself. So everything that is said after this, and this is why he, this is why he starts that off, to, to uh, relay the importance of what he's saying. Because now everything he says after that needs to be paid attention to. And it's why we should be very careful, and I want to throw this little nugget in for you, we should be very, very careful walking around and saying, God told me to say this, God gave me this, I'm speaking for the Lord. Be careful with whose authority you are speaking with. Because everything that comes after that people will pay attention to. And they will also criticize and magnify. So Paul, that's how he starts off. He starts off with this illustrious introduction and saying, it is not my authority nor another man's authority, but it is by God that I speak. And then he says this in verse 2. He says, all the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. In verse 3, this is what he says. 
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Verse 5. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pause here. Okay? Because now... As he's kind of closing the end of his introduction, no matter what letters of Paul you may read in the New Testament, he always has these long introductions with each book. He, he lets you know the authority by which he speaks, and then he lets you know uh, 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 he lets you know what Christ has done. So that's what he does here. And he says, in verse 4, let's go back to verse 4. Let's see what it says again. This is what he says. Jesus, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God the Father. Now, what is Paul doing here? Paul is now trying to establish the basics of doctrine for the church. Sometimes you have to just go back to the basics, Amen. Sometimes we begin, we can become a little bit nuanced. We can become a little bit too complicated when we don't need to. Okay? Sometimes, and, and I, I say this lightheartedly, but we don't need to be caught up in the shoe size of Jesus. We need to be caught up in what Jesus, who he was, and what he did. And Paul is just go ahead and laying this foundation out there saying, look, you got you got to remember, Jesus, he's our Lord. He gave his life for us, for our sins. He did it, and God planned it that way so that we could be delivered from evil. Okay? He goes ahead, and he lays all this out there for the church, and he's saying, I need you to understand this before we go any further. Before, and he got, when Paul is writing these letters, it's not to say hello. He's writing to provide correction. He says, before I can get to the correction, before I can let you know what I'm seeing that I don't like, what I'm hearing that I don't like, before we get to that, I need you to understand the basics. I need you to understand that Jesus died for you, he loves you, and it was all to deliver you from evil. When somebody comes into the church and, and they don't know anything about God or about the Lord or, or anything about this lifestyle, we don't immediately point at them and say, this is what's wrong and this is what needs to be fixed. That's not what we do. The first thing we do is we need you to get the basics. Jesus died for you because he loves you and you can be delivered from the evil of this world. Amen? And that's what Paul is doing. Paul is trying to go by a system here. When Pastor Lot, when others stand up on this stage and they begin to preach and speak to you, it is not by man's authority that we do this, but it is by the authority of God that we speak. Paul establishes that. Then the next thing he establishes is the basics. Christ loves you, he died for you, and you can be delivered from the evil of this world. We establish that. Now we can begin to dive into the lives of the people, and we can begin to dissect the people and try Try and bring them up in a better understanding of the word. Do you follow me, everybody? All right. Amen. That's what I like to hear. So now we're going to go to the problem. Say the problem. The problem. Whenever Paul is writing to the churches, like I said earlier, it is never to purely congratulate them. Now, there are some letters where Paul says, hey, you're doing a great job with this, and I'm immensely proud of you. But there are several times where he goes, but there is this one thing that you need to improve on. 
Now, with the churches in Galatia, it's a very specific problem. So let's go to verse 6. And this is what he says in verse 6. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Verse 7. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So Paul now presents the issue. Paul now gets to the problem that the churches in Galatia are experiencing, and what it is is that they are leaving the gospel that Paul has preached to them, and they are now clinging to a different gospel. And Paul even elaborates there. He says, not that there are more than one gospels, because we know that there is only one way, and it is through Christ that we are saved. Amen? But Paul is saying that somebody, there are people that are coming in and they are distorting, they are twisting the gospel, they are twisting it, and it is causing confusion in the church, and that confusion in the church is causing you to leave your faith. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Do do we see that in today's world? Amen? So so you wonder why we come here on a Wednesday night and we sit down and we decide to do a deep study on Scripture and we don't just talk about hot topics. I'm all for preaching hot topics. I'm all for preaching things of, of, of practicality. But I believe that understanding Scripture needs to be one of the most practical things that we can do because that way when somebody comes in and they they present to you a distorted view of the gospel, you can say, no, that's not true because I've read the gospel and I understand the gospel and that's not what the gospel is. Amen. And Paul says, I was astonished. No matter what version you have, you may have King James, New King James, NLT, whatever you've got. Some say, I am surprised. Some say shocked. But he says, I am astonished that you are turning away so quickly. That word quickly I want to get a little bit um, Bible scholar on you just for one second. In the Greek, that word quickly is the same word that is used as the Hebrew equivalency in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 32. Now, in Exodus chapter 32, that is the story of when the Israelite people... God comes and speaks to them and says, Moses is going to come up on the mountain and spend time with me, and when you are to wait... And when wait until Moses returns. So Moses goes up the mountain and the Israelite people, they decide we're going to create a golden idol to worship. And they create the golden calf. And when God speaks to, back to Moses, he says, the people have abandoned me quickly. And it's the same word, and Paul does that intentionally because he wants you to see the similarity, but also how, how fast the people gave up, how fast the churches in Galatia turned from the original gospel. Because somebody came in, they grew impatient, they didn't understand, they didn't ask questions, and now they are very rapidly turning their minds, they are turning away from what they understood to be the true gospel to something else. This is why we must be vigilant. This is why we must be careful in today's world because there are all kinds of schools of thought out there. I have met several people myself who they, 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 
they would come and they would say, listen, I'm listening to this podcast and this podcast and this preacher and that preacher and this preacher. And there's nothing wrong with listening to, to preachers and pastors on podcasts. But here's the issue. If you start listening to everybody who's got their own differing opinion, their own differing perspective on Scripture, the only thing you'll leave out of those podcasts with is more confusion. No podcast, no sermon, no pastor can replicate or take the place of the Word of God itself. Amen? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repeat the words of what I heard another uh, youth pastor say. I was a youth pastor at the time, and I was talking to him, and this is what he said. He said, there's too much secondhand revelation in the church today. There's, there's, there's not near enough firsthand revelation. Secondhand revelation is when God speaks to somebody, then they speak to you. You would most commonly identify this as a pastor preaching a sermon. That is secondhand revelation. He, God has shown the pastor something, and then he preaches it to you. But you, everybody in this room needs to have firsthand revelation of the word themselves. And the only way that comes is by study and understanding of the word in your day-to-day time with God. Amen? And Paul is saying, you turned away quickly because you lacked understanding, you lacked a solid foundation, and you lacked the faith necessary to stay true to the gospel. And so this is the issue. He says, look, you have abandoned it. These people have come in. Now, the people that came in, you may be wondering, what was this new doctrine? What was this new gospel that was plaguing the churches in Galatia? Well, it was a group of Judaizers. Now, these were Jews who still were clinging to the old ways. They were they, they, they did not want to go into the new Christian faith that was sprouting up, that was following Jesus Christ. These were still the Jews who believed that Jesus was not the Messiah and that Jesus was just a, a, a false prophet and that he was killed for that. And so, and so now they were coming in and they were saying, look to all you Gentiles, if you really want to be saved, then you have to follow the law. And if you're going to follow the law, then you have to start going by the rights of the law. That it included circumcision, that included their eating habits, that included uh, how they went about their day-to-day lives and their habits and their work and everything else. And so Paul hears about this. He hears about Gentiles getting circumcised. He hears about Gentiles changing their eating habits. He hears about Gentiles changing their lifestyles so that they can be saved. And Paul is saying, whoa, 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 wait a minute. When we came and preached to you, we preached a message of salvation by grace. And now suddenly you were trying to earn your salvation by works. And so Paul becomes infuriated, and we're going to see that here. If we look at verse 8. We're going to go a little step further. He says this, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be cursed. Now Paul gets angry. And he says, Look, if anybody or anything, he even calls out the angels in heaven. 
He says, if any of them would come to you, this is how confident Paul is in the gospel of faith that is found in Jesus. He says, even if an angel from heaven comes to you and says otherwise, it's false. And let that angel be cursed. He said, because I know that it is only by Christ, it is only through Christ that we can be saved. And it is by his gift of mercy and grace that we can achieve that. And so Paul begins to say that he says, let him be cursed. Go to verse 9. He repeats himself here. He says this. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be cursed. This is what Paul is trying to say. Paul is trying to so vehemently say, listen, what we preach to you, that is the truth. That is the gospel. That You need to hold on to that. And if anybody comes to you and they are preaching something contrary, they are preaching something that is opposite, they are preaching something that's even slightly off track. And that's where a lot of, especially here in the American church, get in trouble, is that we get slightly off track on a few things before we end up way lost in the woods. I know you've heard Pastor Lot speak about it, and I'll speak about it shortly as well, that there are these schools of thought that pop up when people begin to read the Word. Some of them cling to that uber grace, where grace covers everything, and I can do whatever I want. I can sin as much as I want, because grace covers it all. And that once I accept Jesus, I am saved in that moment, and I can never lose that salvation. And while that's true, you, you can never lose it. You can forfeit it. You can rightfully give it up. And then on the other way, other side of the spectrum, is the people that's not uber grace, but they're still uber law. And they're still rigid and rigorous on the tradition and how things have to be done. And you have to dress this way and talk this way and act this way and be this way. And if you, if you deviate from it even just a little bit, you're going to go to hell. But there is a true gospel. When you read the Word of God, it is not up for your perspective to determine it. The Holy Spirit will reveal to you what He means. You do not have to sit there and debate in your mind. Now, what were they actually meaning when they wrote that? Hmm, I know. No, that's if you, if you are having a hard time understanding the meaning, that is where you pray and ask the Spirit of God inside of you. God, I don't understand what you're saying, but your Spirit can show me. Because the only person who knows uh, that book better than anybody else is the one who wrote it. Amen? And the one who wrote it, his Spirit is inside of you. And so as you're reading, you can say, God, show me what you're meaning in this word. And Paul, believing that, is trying to get the churches in Galatia to understand that nobody else's perspective or opinion or their understanding of how it was supposed to be, that doesn't matter. What matters is what we saw and what happened. Now, in today's time, we have, we didn't see Jesus walk the earth, and we didn't see Jesus do his ministry, but we have the record of it in the Word. We have the record of it in the Word. And so, when I'm sitting there on my phone late at night, 
and it's just something I do, but I'll scroll through videos. Some I find funny, some I find to be cute, some I find to be uh, downright feel good, like family type stuff with kids. I love watching those. And then I'll find some that are uh, ministry related, preaching samples from other sermons. And I saw one where I've seen several, I'll say it like that, where people begin to talk about all kinds of crazy things. And I mean, I mean like out there. I'm talking close to aliens. Like, like we're getting way out there. When I say deep end, that can't quantify. I'm talking like the deep end. And I see stuff, and I just have to like, y'all are crazy. Because the Bible don't say nothing about Martians. I don't know where you got Martians from the book of John at, but I'm reading the book of John, and I don't see no Martians. And so when you're reading that word, it's not up for our interpretation. This is not your English class where you read a piece of literature and then you have to interpret in your own mind what it means. This is the Word of God. This is what was set in stone before time ever began, and this is what is true. And Paul wants to he wants to try so hard to get the church to understand that because they were swayed so easily. Remember, he said, quickly you turned away. Quickly you turned away. Now, my kids, my two boys, I have a two-year-old and a one-year-old. By the end of this year, I'll have a three-year-old and a two-year-old. And yes, that's weird. I can change their mind very quickly because they don't have a concrete understanding of really anything in the world right now. I can just redirect them. All my parents say, y'all know what redirection is? It works wonders. You don't have to always yell at your kid. Just redirect them. Just, nope, go over here. Now, it's kind of like working the traffic stop. Nope, go this way. Go that way. And so when, when, when one of my kids is throwing a tantrum at me because they can't have that, I'm like, well, look, why don't you just have this? And so they go over there and get that. They're happy. They're good. The problem is, is that because they're so young and immature, I can do that. The people in the church of Galatia were the same way. They were so immature in their faith that somebody could say, you don't want that, you want this, that they jumped ship right away to it. Oh, you're right. That must be the gospel. That must be it. That must be what we're looking for. That must be what it's got to be about. That must be the truth. And that's how people get confused. That's how people get hurt, and that's how people end up even walking away from their faith altogether because they don't know what the gospel actually says. And then lastly, for, 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 for tonight, we're not going to go through the whole chapter, but we're going to stop here at verse 10. I love verse 10. This is why I love verse 10. Because Paul, I'm going to read this version. It says this, for... Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And I love how Paul puts that because I almost can sense the sarcasm in his voice. I kind of, because I'm a very sarcastic person myself. And so from one sarcastic guy to another, I can recognize it. Now, I'm going to read you uh, this other version 
uh, of that same scripture. It says, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. And I love that because it's so funny to me. Paul's like, look, I'm, obviously, guys, I am not trying to please people. That is not my goal. If that was my goal, I would not be a servant of, of Jesus. And I love how he puts that because what's going to happen is, is that you will never please people and please God at the same time. It will never happen, no matter how hard you try. And take it from someone who knows because he's trying, because naturally I am a people pleaser. Because one of the worst things anybody could ever say to me uh, was not, I don't love you, or I think you're ugly, or whatever. It was, I'm disappointed in you. Just like a shot to the heart. Because I'm a people pleaser. I, ple- I, want, I want people to be proud and happy and encouraged. Not disappointed or upset. And Paul says, look, you cannot be a servant of Christ if your goal is to please people. When I'm writing this letter, I know you're not happy with me right now, especially the men, because they went ahead and got circumcised. And now Paul's writing them and saying, you bunch of idiots, you didn't have to do that. So now they're upset. He says, but look, I'm not trying to please you. I'm trying to do this to offer you correction, to help you, to grow you, to get you to the place that I know that you can be at, to get you to the place of where I want you to go. And the only way I can do that is by speaking the words that I need to say. And that is, you've got it wrong. And you need to correct it and get back to what I taught you. Get back to what I preached to you. Get back to those words. If you can get back to those words, then we can build off of that. Then we can go from there. But I need you to understand that right now, you're off track. You're off track. And so, I'm going to start winding down here. Just in those first ten verses, Paul already, and I love it because it's an archetype that we can take with us in our day-to-day lives. And when you're reading it, you're not thinking of it like that. But that's the cool thing, is that's why we do these studies and these breakdowns. Paul, his, his whole theme so far is if you would have a solid understanding of Scripture, if you would understand what the Bible is saying, if you would understand what the gospel is all about, then we could build off of that. But I need to get you there first. And right now, you're, you're not there. You're not there yet. But if I can get you there, we can go over here. But I got to get you there first. There's a reason that I don't pack my kids up and take them with me to all kinds of places. Especially when they were a little bit younger, they were around that infant age. One time Hope looked at me and she said, no, we should all go on a family vacation. I looked at her and said, no, absolutely not. She was like, well, why not? I said, I'm not traveling with an eight-month-old baby. I'm not. I'm not taking an eight-month-old baby out of their, uh, their routine, their, their bedroom, everything that they done got used to, and putting them in a beach house somewhere. 
No, I'm not going to go on vacation just to be upset and tired and miserable. Will not happen. But there's a reason that I did, because I can't take them there because they're not ready yet. Now, when they get older and they can sleep in their own pattern, and I don't have to have them in a, a bottle-fed routine, and I don't have to have them to the strict routine, and, and, and it get, then I can say, you know what, they're older, they're more mature, I can handle these things better. Now, like, we can go on a trip because it will not be the pain that it would before. And Paul is saying, look, to the church in Galatia, I want you to go there. But before you can ever go there, I need you to fix this. And that's my message to you tonight. Before, I know that as Christians, we have visions of grandeur when it comes to God. Uh, uh, and what I mean is this, is that we're, you know, we're told all the time about how God has great plans for you, plans to prosper you, plans to, to, to do you no harm, plans to, to bless you and to keep you. And those are all great plans and great visions and great promises. But before God can take you from here to there, he's got to get you on solid footing over here. He can't start carrying you from one place to the next if you still are on shaky ground with what you understand and what you believe. And I'll close with this, if you'll stand with me tonight. Thank you for your patience. And but this is how I want to close with, with, with a very uh, simple example, and I love this example. Growing up when I was a child, and I love using children as an example because they're such great examples. But when I was a child, my parents told me about a man in a big red suit that would come down the chimney of the house every year on December the 24th. And when he came down that chimney, he had a large sack full of toys over his shoulder. And he would pull out toys and boxes and presents from that bag and put them under the Christmas tree. And he would eat cookies and drink a glass of milk that was sitting there by the tree. Then he would climb back up the chimney, hop in a sleigh, and fly off with his eight magic reindeer. Sounds so crazy when you say it out loud. But as a kid, I believed it. I believed it. Why? Because mom and dad told me to believe it. They said, this is what it is. Yeah. Now, I'm not preaching against Santa Claus, okay? Nobody get mad at me. Nobody go home. I can't believe you said we can't teach them. No, because my kids hear about Santa. So, but they also hear about Jesus more. So, yeah, but again, that's, that's how I parent. You do your own thing. Amen. But this is, this, this is what I want to say is this, is that I believe because mom and dad told me that, that he exists. And that's what happened. And so I believed it. As a child, I'll believe anything. But as I got older, I began to ask questions. And I began to kind of put two and two together. Now, to this day, if my mom says Santa's not real, I act so shocked around her. And I go, what? You lied to me? Just to mess with her. Just to mess with her. But to this day, I still say I believe. But as I got older, I asked questions, and eventually I figured it out. There is no jolly man in a red suit. There is no flying deer in the sky. It was all just a story. And I learned the truth of it. 
the whole point of tonight, that the, what I want you to take is I don't want you to believe in the Lord and believe in this word just because you were raised to, just because mom and dad told you, just because grandma and grandpa dragged you to church and that's what you grew up on. As someone who has been a youth pastor, as someone who has taught kids, teenagers, young adults, I see it a lot, a lot. I see just in those generations. I'm not even talking about those of you out here tonight. Just in the younger generations, it it is so prevalent that they only believe because they were told to believe. But they never knew why we believe it. And the reason they don't know why they believe what they believe is because they never took the time to read and understand what the Word actually said. And they never built a solid foundation. And, and so tonight, maybe that's you. Maybe, maybe you have never fully gotten or understood, this is why I believe what I believe. But I've always just come to church, and I've always just sang the songs, and I've always just prayed just because I was told to do that. What I want to say to you tonight is that the Spirit of God inside of you can do something that I cannot. I wish that I could come sit with you 24, well, I don't wish that because it would get kind of weird after a while. But 24-7, I cannot come sit with you and answer every biblical question. I cannot show you what it really means. I cannot be there all the time saying, well, that's what that means, and that's what that means, and this is what that means. I can't do that. Pastor Lot can't do that. But the Spirit of God inside of you is someone that can, that as you read, He can reveal the meanings, the hidden things to you. Jesus, when He got done preaching parables, many parables, He began, His disciples came to Him and they said, what does this mean? What does this mean? And Jesus revealed it to Him and says, to you it's been revealed the hidden things. And I want everybody in this room to be able to read the Word of God, to stand confidently on their faith in the gospel, knowing I believe this because I understand and I've seen it and it is, it is real in my life. And that is what I want to see. Otherwise, if we can't have that solid foundation, otherwise what happens is that any new school of thought, any new doctrine any new crazy, new cult-like thing that comes out, it becomes popular, will just whisk you away. And you'll go follow it until you get tired of it. And then you'll follow the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. I know because I've met people that have done that. And they're following some craze today. Some variation of the, doc- uh, of the gospel, but not the true gospel. With every head bowed, every eye closed. My prayer for everybody in this room tonight is that you come to a fresh and new revelation, understanding of who God is and what the gospel has done and what it is in your life. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your spirit. God, I thank you, Lord, that the Holy Spirit reveals these things to us, that your spirit resides in every one of us. 
And God, I pray that as we go forward, that as we go throughout our lives, as we read your word and as we sit and, and listen to sermons and as we pray and as we worship and praise you, that your spirit would begin to reveal to us the truths of what your word says. And that, Father, a, a solid foundation will be built so that we can stand firmly on it in the face of adversity, in the face of falseness, in the face of things that are not true. And, God, I give you praise and glory for who you are and what you did on the cross. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, thank you. And, uh, in honor of Pastor Locke, who give that devil fits the rest of this week.